Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again this week on the program, and I trust that uh, you saw last week's program. It was our introductory. Uh, if you have not been familiar with our ministry, we want to take a little bit of time here and get acquainted with you. The, our, uh, these broadcasts are being broadcast on brand new networks that we've never been on before, and so we welcome you if this is your first time to our ministry. I am Dr. Lynn Hiles, and we are coming to you from West Virginia, the great state where uh, the sign when you enter our state says almost heaven, hallelujah, a beautiful, beautiful state in the, in the great state of West Virginia. We're coming to you uh, on this program, and we trust that you are going to make plans to tune in with us every week at the same time as we continue to preach the gospel of grace, the gospel of the kingdom, and the finished work of Jesus Christ. We have uh, been 30-some years in full-time mobile ministry. We are probably coming to a city near you, and so if you would like to know where we're going to be and when we're going to be there, go to our website at lynnhiles.com and you can find a whole uh, listing of our itinerary. I also would say to you, if you, uh, if you, if you are seeing this and uh, you would like to hear it again, you can go to our YouTube page. We have a channel there that's called That You Might Have Life, or you can just put my name in the search engine and it will come up. But subscribe to our page there. You can watch it on demand as well. Also, iTunes hosts our podcast. We put the audio portion of these up so that you can go get them and put them on your smart device. There's also an RSS feed where you can get the audio portion of this and download it to your smart device. Uh, we're deeply grateful that you tuned in. And like I told you last week, the central focus and the central theme of our ministry is on the finished work of Jesus, what He did in His person, His work, His death, His burial, His resurrection. I believe everything that we preach must be able to stand the filter of the cross. If it doesn't filter through the finished work of Jesus Christ, it's probably not the gospel. There's a lot of stuff that's preached that will not stand the litmus test of the finished work of Jesus. Secondly, because we preach and we major on the finished work of Jesus, our, our message is very grace-central. We are very grace-based and uh, very New Covenant-minded, very covenantal in our teaching and approach to the gospel. And uh, you will find that every time you tune in, you will not be browbeat or beat down. You will be encouraged, edified, and lifted up. Thirdly, we are uh, very strongly a kingdom-based ministry in the sense of what I began to share with you last week. And that is that the kingdom is not necessarily... Uh, when, I, when I say kingdom, I'm talking about the difference between the old covenant was a form of government where you were governed by rules on rocks, I call it. But in the new covenant, we are governed by the Holy Spirit. And so it's not that you're not without a government. Again, the Message Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, For if the government of condemnation was glorious... How about this government of affirmation? And so the old covenant was a government of condemnation, a covenant of death, while the new covenant is a government of affirmation and a government of life. And so, you know, I, I, I was in the ministry, and uh, 
many years before I really began to get a grip or a grasp on the fact that the new covenant is not an addendum to the old one. The fact that it's called a new covenant, Hebrews says, tells you that there's an old one that's faded away. So it's not an addendum to the old covenant. It's not Jesus plus the law. It's a brand new covenant. And the old covenant was, thou shalt, thou shalt not. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. The new covenant, God says, I will write my law in their hearts. I will remember their sins and iniquities no more. I will, I will, I will, and I will. The old covenant is thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not. So the old covenant was about you and your performance. But the new covenant is about what God is doing through Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. The government of the kingdom of God is, uh, is not just when you die and go to heaven, but as we shared in last week's program, the government of the kingdom of God is the indwelling Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, it's peace, it's joy, and it's located in the Holy Ghost. It is the indwelling power of God in the midst of you to govern you through the leading of the Holy Spirit. When he says, they that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God, the contrast here is what used to lead you before was rules. When you were in the Old Covenant, you were servants governed by rules and regulations. In the New Covenant, you're no longer servants, but you're sons. And if you're a son, you're led and governed by the Spirit. That's the contrast. Uh, you know, when we think about being led by the Spirit, so many times I think we have uh, made people think in spooky terms. And I know the Spirit of God is able to speak, govern, and, you know, tell us, you know, perhaps where to go, where not to go. And that's all part of it. But the, what I'm talking about here is the, the being able to be governed by the inward voice of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. Those that are led by the Spirit, they're the sons of God. And so in the New Covenant, he talks about because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we reign in life. And so this word reign is a kingdom word. It's talking about grace is given so that you can reign as kings and priests right now. See here, man, the emphasis you're going to hear come from this ministry on a constant basis is that the kingdom of God is a present reality. It's got ongoing effects, of course, because it's like leaven. It continues to grow. But the moment you got born again, you were translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His dear Son. You are a citizen right now of the kingdom of God, and it is in this transition of learning how to be governed by the Holy Spirit that becomes the gospel of the kingdom. And the grace is the currency, for the grace of God hath appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness. And while God does not in the new covenant, He says, your sins and iniquities I will remember no more, at the same time He gives you His Holy Spirit to lift us up out of the repetitive cycles of our fallenness. And so when we learn how to be governed by the Holy Spirit, and, and, and I think the reason a lot of times that most preachers are afraid to preach the gospel of grace is because they're afraid that if they preach the gospel of grace, man, people are just going to go haywire 
and they're going to sin, and they're just going to go haywire. Well, let me just tell you, first of all, don't just preach what you're free from, but preach what you've been freed to do. In other words, you're not under law, but what you are under is, you see, you know, in my last segment, I talked a little bit about the Word, and I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and take my time and reiterate some of that. But we talked about in the last segment uh, how John the Baptist came on the scene, Matthew 3. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, if, if I told you to put out your hand, and I said, listen, where is your hand? If you're sitting there watching me tonight, today uh, in front of your television set, if you put your hand out and you hear somebody say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what that says to me, it is within your reach. It is within your grasp. It is right here. It is right now. Now, John was introducing it as being at hand. And the reason he was introducing it as being at hand is because the king of the kingdom, Jesus, was about to walk down over the bank of the Jordan River and be introduced to the world. So the king of the kingdom is now on the scene, and John is saying, hey, repent, which means change the way you think. The Greek word repent here does not necessarily mean you need to get saved every time you turn around. It means to change the way you think. And what John was introducing was a whole new way of thinking because he's introducing a whole new form of government. So in repentance, it's not only what you turn from, but it's what you turn toward. In other words, John is simply saying here, listen man, uh, when you turn from law and you repent from dead works. See, when I think about dead works, I'm talking about the context of Hebrews 6 where he talks about repentance from dead works is you think you can do this through human effort. You think you can do it through the laws of the Mosaic system. He said, repent from dead works. That, that would be the biggest altar call, I believe, on the planet because people still bound by doing this thing based on dead works. But a repentance, but see, we turn from dead works. But we repent. It's not, see, repentance is you turn from, but then you turn toward. And when our hearts turn toward the Lord, then the veil is taken away. And when Moses is ready, it puts a veil over our face. So we're turning from a law-based, living by rules, and we're turning towards a grace-based, living out of relationship. Under the old covenant, it was about a law you had to keep. In the New Covenant, it's about receiving a life that will keep you. I love that. In the New Covenant, Jesus gives His life for you. Then He gives His life to you. And if you've got any reasonable sense at all, you will let Him live His life through you. Because they turned from one form of government and turned toward the Lord. And so my biggest shift, and I believe right now the huge paradigm shift that's happening all over the globe because the gospel of grace, the gospel of the finished work of Jesus Christ, and the gospel of the kingdom is coming on the scene in a massive and organic way. It's growing like crazy. It's like leaven. And I believe the reason sometimes, again, that pastors will not preach this is because they don't really believe the Holy Spirit can do what the Holy Spirit said He could do. See, if, if a relationship with Jesus and an indwelling Holy Spirit can't change your life, then all the rules I give you is not going to help you because rules can change your behavior, but only grace can change the heart. So God is not just interested in an outward sh uh, you know, show. We, we've got a good show of, of, of religiousness, but no real inward change. 
But the real gospel, make no mistake about it, at least for this ministry, and I think for the majority of the grace ministries that I know, we're not trying to give people a license to sin. We're trying to give them the only thing that can lift them up out of the power of sin, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And I shared with you in the last segment, but I'm going to reiterate it again because it's worth repeating again in the Old Testament, the powerful pictures and patterns that are used there when Israel came up out of Egypt. They are delivered by the blood of a spotless lamb. And so the blood of the lamb delivers them. And I said before and I said again, but the blood that was on the doorpost of their houses did not say to the death angel, this house escapes. That's only part of the message. The blood that was on the doorpost of the house said to the death angel, there's already been a death exacted here. The death of the lamb was the death of the firstborn. In other words, Jesus did not just die for you. He died as you. His death was your death. You were delivered. And somebody said, well, Jesus died to give you life. No, he died to give you a death. Now, he got back up from the dead in his resurrection to give you a life. And I think this is where a lot of times people are missing it at, where there's error in this message coming, is that people are trying to put everybody, you know, through the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. But there are people at different levels of this. People are identifying with his death and being by bearing, buried with him in baptism. People are identifying with his resurrection as receiving this new life. And there's not everybody at that same point. There are those who are coming into a revelation of the ascended Christ. And in Ephesians 1, not only is He ascended, but we're seated together with Him in the heavenly places with an authority and a dominion that has been restored to us by the person and work of Jesus Christ. I don't want to sidetrack too much on that. Except to say that they were delivered by the blood of a lamb in Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. Now they've been delivered by water. So they've been blood-bought water baptized. They've been baptized into the sea. They were baptized into Moses. The writer of the new covenant says they were baptized into Moses and they were baptized into the sea. Fast forward over to the New Testament. Jesus is the true Lamb of God. He was sacrificed during the feast of Passover. He is the true Lamb of God. John the Baptist said right there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he identifies the Lamb but what I love is this, is in the New Covenant, we've applied the blood of Jesus. Then we come through the waters of baptism as well. So we're blood-bought, water-baptized. In the Old Covenant, exactly 50 days after they leave Egypt, they are at the foot of Mount Sinai. And I shared this last week, but I think it's worth repeating, especially since we're on a new channel. Many of you have not even heard of our ministry before. But when they come across the Red Sea, exactly 50 days later. Now, 50 days after Passover begins the Feast of Pentecost. So exactly 50 days after they left Egypt, delivered by the blood, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai, and God comes down on that mountain and gives them the law. The moment the law was given, 3,000 people dropped dead in the Old Testament. Now fast forward into the New Testament. Jesus was crucified during the Feast of Passover. But exactly 50 days later, ah, this gets me excited. They were in an upper room. And 50 days later, now when the day of Pentecost was fully come, which Pentecost means 50, 50 days exactly after Jesus was crucified, they are in an upper room. And this time, God doesn't give them the law. He does not give them rules on rocks. He gives them the Holy Spirit. And when He gives them the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people are added to the church. Why is that? Because under the Old Covenant, 3,000 people drop dead. The letter kills. 
But in the new covenant, 3,000 people were added to the church because the Spirit gives life. So the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. It's not an accident. It's exactly number 3,000 dropped dead over here. And in the new covenant, 3,000 are added to the church. This is an administration of death. This is an administration of life and peace. It is the new government of the kingdom of God where the Holy Spirit becomes the governor. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, it's peace, it's joy, it's located in the Holy Ghost. And if you got the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you are a citizen right now of the kingdom of God. Not only are you a citizen, but you have power to operate kingdom business. And uh, again, when I think of those scriptures, again, I think about the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. Uh, my mind says a lot of times that we go to our, our Western culture and we start thinking in terms of, oh, the kingdom of God is not pie and it's not turkey and it's not sweet potatoes. But see, the context I believe he was dealing with is that they were eating things offered to idols and things that were being offered to uh, uh, other gods and so forth. But he was talking about the whole paradigm of this. The kingdom of God is not about eat meat offerings. It's not about drink offerings. It's not about animal sacrifices. It's not about these things that govern under the old covenant, but the kingdom of God is righteousness. It is peace. It is joy. And it's located in the Holy Ghost. And when I think about those things, I think about, first of all, righteousness. In the old covenant, righteousness was based on your performance. If you kept every rule, you crossed every T, dotted every I, kept every jot and tittle of the law, then you could be declared righteous, except that when you get to Romans 2 and 3, the Bible tells us that there was none righteous, no, not even one, that God concluded all under sin so He could have mercy on all. So nobody made it based on old covenant righteousness except for Jesus. Jesus is the only one who fully kept the law. That's the reason He was the only one qualified to die the death of the old covenant, is because He had no wages of sin coming. But when I think about the righteousness aspect of it, one of the very first things that the, uh, the Spirit of the Lord began to say to me in teaching this many, many years ago, and I began, I, I've been teaching the gospel of grace for a lot of years. But the, the, the Scripture of Matthew 6, I believe it is, verse 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And all of a sudden, my, my, I started to really think about this righteousness. Because in the Old Covenant, once again, the righteousness was based on your performance. Have you done everything right? Have you crossed every T, dotted every I? Have you kept all the rules? Well, anybody that's been around any length of time knows that everybody is utterly and miserably failing based on that. But in the New Covenant, our righteousness is not based on our performance. It is based on a gift. Because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. See, I want to say to people, what part of gift don't we understand? The gift of righteousness, Jesus gave us this right standing with God as a free gift. You say, well, how did He do that? Here's how He did it. He that knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. So He was made sin with the same made that I was made righteous with. Now watch this. He who did absolutely nothing wrong on his part, he who was the spotless, 
perfect Lamb of God became sin. He who did absolutely nothing wrong was made to be sin. God laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was made to be sin. He who did absolutely nothing wrong was made to be sin. Watch this though. That doesn't seem fair at all, does it? But watch this. So that I, who did absolutely nothing right, could be made righteous on the same maid that he was made sin. So he was made to be sin who did nothing wrong, and I was made to be righteous based on the sacrifice of Jesus so that, hallelujah, in the new covenant, we stand in a righteousness that's not volatile. It is a right standing with God given to us because of the gift, the abundance of grace, and the gift of righteousness, we reign in life. That's a kingdom word. So when I seek first the kingdom and His, not mine, but His righteousness, then all these other things are added. Now, I could talk about the, all these things, but the second thing I want to talk about is, the second thing that's added to us is peace. Because the moment that I begin to understand that I was righteous, not based on my performance, but based on what He did, the very next thing that hit me was a peace begin to come over me. And you know, I, I just get so, I just get almost tore up when I think about this, but I think one of the biggest things that's lacking in the life of God's people is a gospel of peace, man. The war is over. Jesus accomplished everything. God is not angry. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. And so the gospel of peace is a result of understanding your righteousness. See, so what's added to you once you realize your righteousness is there's going to come a peace over you. And you know what? I love this because I, I, I tell you, man, the peace that I have in the gospel of getting up in the mornings knowing that my salvation is not volatile, knowing that I'm accepted in the beloved, knowing that God is happy with me, knowing that I'm accepted in the beloved, knowing that God is not mad at me, He's mad about me, brings me into this incredible peace. I'll never forget my days in classical Pentecost. I tell people I was raised under terrorist preachers. <laughs> and I mean that, you know, uh, those guys did the best they could with what they knew at, the point, at that point. And listen, I was one of them at one time. And I'm not talking about terrorist preachers that'll strap a bomb to themselves and blow something up. I'm talking about preachers that'll scare you with fear. And their whole motivation is to just scare you constantly. Man, I would just live in just a constant state of unrest and turmoil and no peace, wondering am I saved? Does he love me? He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. I hope I die when He loves me. I want to tell you, He loves you. He loves you. He can't stop loving you. He's there as a present help in the time of need. And so when I begin to realize that a peace begin to come over my life, I used to get, I tell people, I used to go to the altar uh, twice a week. I get saved every Sunday, man. I thought I was living right, but about the time they, I thought I was living holy, they'd come up with a new sin. And man, I'd be back on the altar. They'd be scaring me to death again and sometimes give them a midweek courtesy dip, so to speak. <laughs> and and the, the, the unrest and the stress and the turmoil that was on my life, I think about people who walked out of church aisle and they've traded one set of stress and problems for another one. And man, they lay their burden of sin down, but they pick up the burden of religion, and one is as bad as the other. But let me tell you, man, I'm trying to preach to you. 
a gospel of peace. And when you realize that your righteousness is based on Him and not based on you, then here's some of the, all these things that are added to you. Peace begins to come like a river. That's the second dimension. Peace begins to flow into your life. And then the third thing that's added is joy. The kingdom of God is not, pe- not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy. And it's located in the Holy Ghost. So the kingdom's in the Holy Ghost. It's not on a planet three miles south of Mars. What we don't understand is that these religious leaders of Jesus' day thought the kingdom would immediately appear. Now they were looking for the kingdom and a different dynamic. They were looking for somebody to lead an insurrection against the Romans and lead them up out of their bondage and slavery. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It doesn't mean it's not for this world. Jesus didn't come to save you from the world. He came to be the Savior of the world. And so uh, the reality of it is, is that He came to establish His kingdom and to give it, see, that's the moment you got born again. You got translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His dear Son. You are right now a citizen of the kingdom. And as these leaders were standing, the scribes, Pharisees, they were expecting the kingdom because they'd read uh, Isaiah 9. They'd read Daniel chapter 7. They read Daniel chapter 9. They'd read Psalm chapter 2. They, they, they knew that a government was coming that was going to be upon the shoulders of a son who of the increase of his government and peace there would be no end. They'd read Daniel chapter 2 that this kingdom would come without end during the time of this final Roman Empire kingdom. Jesus came in the middle of that, established his kingdom, so they were expecting the kingdom of God. But that's the things he begins to add to us, is the righteousness, the knowing that I'm in right standing with God. The peace that comes through the gospel of peace, because the king of peace is now my king. The joy that's restored to me, the joy of my salvation, where it's not about struggle any longer, but it's about enjoying the journey of walking with Jesus in this incredible journey. And then uh, the Spirit began to take me in, I believe it is John, I believe it's John chapter 12, but he says there are three dimensions of the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and here's how it goes. He says, when, when, he, when he, the Spirit of truth has come, He will convince and convict the world of sin. So the first work of the Holy Spirit is to convince the world of sin because they believe not. So the Holy Spirit is able to convince unbelievers that they need a Savior. But then the second dimension of the work of the Holy Spirit is, he says, he, then the, the Holy Spirit will convince and convict us of righteousness and of judgment because the prince of this world is already judged. So the second dimension of the work of the Holy Spirit that we never preach is that the Holy Spirit will convince and convict you that you are righteous. I am praying that God releases a spirit of conviction on believers, because once you become born again, you don't need a conviction of sin any longer. You need a conviction of righteousness. And the conviction of righteousness will make you live holy more than a conviction of sin, because when you get convinced that you're right, the just will live by faith, and you'll live out of what you believe to be true. And then you will understand that the third dimension is to convince you of judgment, because your judgment is not in your future, it's in your past, because Jesus said the prince of this world has already been judged. We're out of time. Take a moment to call the number on the screen. Tell us where you're calling from so we know which outlet you're receiving this uh, word from. But consider becoming a partner with our ministry. It takes your help to take the gospel of grace and the gospel of the kingdom around the world. And uh, we, we'll appreciate it if you'll help us with that and obey the Spirit what He tells you to give. Call the number on the screen and do that today or go to our website. God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, 
This book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.